So I was thinking of coming up and humming Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. And all week long, to the annoyance of the people that work with me, I have been playing that song. Did you know that Elvis Presley sings it? Fabulous. Actually, no, it's so terrible. And because I'm a fairly loud person, the shouting parts really excite me. So when I got this story of the Battle of Jericho, I thought back, like, do you remember in Sunday school, it was the boxes and the toilet paper trumpets, and you would march around blowing your trumpets and kicking over boxes, and you could yell. It was like one of my favorite stories. There's also my memory from the 1980s, that wonderful song, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. That was another song. We would sing that song, and we would think about biblical battles, but we would also think about what we were going through. The whole story of the Israelites seems to me to have this theme. And every time I tried to find a different theme, I kept coming back to this one. It's the theme of obedience. As a matter of fact, if you were to say the word obedience in another way, and it says this in some later verses, it would be to say to God, if you say so. Now, just get, let's get back into our story a bit from before the battle. So we've got Moses on Mount Sinai. I'm moving this away from my mouth. There we go. Moses on Mount Sinai, he gets the Ten Commandments, and he teaches the people how to follow the Torah, the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments are going to shape the people of God into who God wants them to be, his special people, the apple of his eye. Joshua is called the new Moses, so Joshua takes over. He has the ark, so he has the Ten Commandments. He teaches the Torah. He teaches the same things that Moses taught. We've heard how Moses sent out two spies to the city of Jericho because it's the first city on their route into the Promised Land. Of course, the two spies meet up with Rahab. Rahab rescues them. They end up going back across the Jordan to Joshua and they tell him that the inhabitants of the land are melting with fear. And I always think that's an interesting comment. Why are they melting with fear? It's because they've heard about this warring nation coming their way. They've heard about this God that has done amazing things for his people. And so they're a little bit worried about what's coming across. Now, last week, Kathy talked about the journey the Israelites made across the Jordan. And again, a miracle. The Jordan is moved aside. They walk across on dry land. They set up 12 stones of remembrance. Kathy's reminder to us what that was that those stones of remembrance were to make us stop and think about the great things that God has done for us in our lives. As a matter of fact, I think she encouraged you to either take a stone or start a prayer journal or in some ways, recount the ways that God has been an amazing and faithful God. If you were part of one of the Beth Moore uh, Bible studies, Beth Moore had us do that too. And she suggested we just get a timeline of our life. Now some of your timelines are like this, and some are like that. But anyways, mine's like that, my timeline. And I wrote every time there was something that God did that was a faithful reminder of who he is, I would draw stones and the date, and I would label it with what happened. And you know what? There is something really encouraging to go back in your life and open that up and see the amazing things God's done, because we forget. We are a forgetful people. 
Well, now we are back into our text of today, the very long text. Thank you, Dan, for reading that. And I'd like to cover some of the verses that weren't read. They're in between the account that Kathy stopped at and the account of Jericho, and only because they provide a little bit of context, and I think they're really important to cover. What happened then is that they were, the Israelites were brought back to their roots, and Joshua had all the men of the camp circumcised, and together they celebrated the very first time of Passover in their new promised land. Why is that important? It's because God is reminding them who they are. They are his, and they are, that's their part of the covenant to God. God's covenant was, well, I will take care of you, and this is their obedience to God. Now, when I was in Sunday school, I don't know about you, I remember kicking over boxes, but I do not remember being told about an angelic visitor. So I don't know how many of you were surprised at that account. But I remember when I was uh, reading this when I was in school, I was surprised by that. And so I wanted to find out exactly who this angelic visitor was. Well, according to the commentaries I looked at, it's a debate. Some say that it was a heavenly visitor, like a, an angel, and some say that it was God himself. Either way, this is unexpected, this is special, and it's important to note that this angelic visitor had his sword out, and he was ready for battle. Now, Joshua's question to him was a legit question. I'd ask it too, like, are you for us or are you against us? When the angel responds, neither, I can imagine that Joshua is probably quaking in his boots. Why wouldn't the angelic visitor be with him? Why wouldn't he come behind Joshua and help Joshua? Well, the answer for the no is really important because of this. God doesn't work for us. We work for God. So the answer neither was because God was telling Joshua, this is not your battle. This is my battle. And you come after me, and you come after me in obedience. So Joshua's deal was to say the words, if you say so, if you say so. Joshua understands that meeting this angelic visitor is a time of respect, and so he takes off his shoes and he bows down because this is holy ground. This is God's battle, and we have now the commander of the Israelite military bowing down in obedience to a covenant Lord and accepting divine guidance. It's an important moment. This is God's battle. And in this battle, Israel is actually like a spectator because God is going to go ahead. Everything is going to come under God's authority and God's greater plan for the whole earth. The promise to inherit the land was only given to the Israelites if they were obedient and trusted in God's command. This is God declaring war on the Canaanites. Because the Canaanites are devoted to destruction, and they are devoted to moral corruption. They have child sacrifices and idol worship. I looked back into Genesis 15, because there is a comment that was made that was fascinating to me. And in it, God tells Abraham that the sin of the Amorites had not reached its full measure. Interesting words. 
already promised there that Abraham's descendants will receive the land. So God's promise of the land is secure, but apparently the sin in the land had not yet reached its full measure. And then we get into battle details. Chapter 6. Jericho has shut its gates, and no one is going in, and no one is going out. That is a pretty uh, interesting uh, plan for these Israelites. They have to try to get in there. They know that the city of Jericho had a spring-fed water source. They didn't have to come out. Uh, archaeologically, they, I, I, if you were here for the service of uh, Rahab, two chariots could ride alongside on top of the wall. That is a thick wall. Archaeological, uh, archaeological evidence says that it is one of the first fortified cities. These people were not going to come out of their city. It's like Israelite was going to war with water guns. How are they going to even get in that? And yet, God says to Joshua, the battle is mine. Now, Joshua was a small city because it was a military base. The smaller a city is, the easier it is to defend. So the beginning of the column from the Israelites probably was already back in camp before the other side was even all the way around. The horns were to blow constantly. Now, I was going to bring a shofar with me because that is the kind of horn that they blew, a ram's horn. It is a loud noise, I'm just saying. The people were to follow in silence, and they were to circle seven times. Now, if I was in the city, and people were walking around my city blowing horns, I don't think I would feel threatened. I would think, these people are kind of crazy. And imagine how annoying they were. I have my grandchildren come over, play kazoos for 20 minutes, and I am ready to take them away. Can you imagine? This is shofars being blown around a city the whole time. Amazing noise. And imagine the silence from the troops. So this is how it goes. Silence, horns, marching. Day one. Day two, silence, horns, marching. Day three, you can imagine. I, I, I think... I think I would have thrown something over the wall, but anyways. Then I was wondering, how does that work on the seventh day? The seventh day, they're marching around the city seven times. And then I was confused, because isn't the seventh day the Sabbath to the Lord? Isn't that a day of rest? How does that work? Well, it turns out that it was the day of the Lord. But it was a day of rest from evil. And that's why it was seven times around the city. Seven is a number of fullness. God created the earth in six days, the seventh he created. It's a number of fullness. It's also the day that the Canaanites should have known this is the day of judgment. Yahweh's presence in the ark was a visible sign that God was with his people. The people are to follow after the ark, after God, because he has promised to deliver his people they need to trust and wait. Their priority was to follow the craziest battle instructions I have ever heard. Seven times around the city, and then silence. And then the people begin to shout. Can you imagine? They were probably so ready to shout after seven times walking around in silence. Their shout was a reminder that God had given the city to them. 
And here's the fascinating thing about those boxes we kick over in Sunday school. Oops, I don't think I need those. Boxes will fly all over the place. In the case of the, the walls of Jericho, they didn't fall outward and smack the people that were waiting to come in. They didn't fall inward. They actually collapsed straight down. For a military uh, operation, that means these men could walk straight into the city. Can you imagine? We've talked in, in other sermons as part of this series about the word harem, which is a Hebrew word meaning the destruction of things that pollute the faith and practices of Israel. There was harem over the Canaanites. The Israelites were to bring nothing back from the camp. There was nothing in that, in that place that wasn't touched by evil. They were allowed to bring back silver, gold, bronze, and iron. Everything else was burned. Interesting note, silver, gold, bronze, and iron can be put in the fire and the fire purifies them. There was nothing coming out of Jericho that wasn't purified. Except for, of course, Rahab, one of my favorite people. In the return for her rescue for the two spies, she and her entire family are safely brought out of the city. And then there's a follow-up in the Bible of what happens to her. She settles permanently among the Israelites and she is put under the grace of God that the Israelites enjoy. So the question that I also wanted to ask when I was reading this was, is God here saying genocide is okay? Because that's what it sounds like, doesn't it? And it's a pretty weighty question, and one I kind of didn't want to touch. But then I realized that if Rahab came out, that wasn't genocide. And the truth of it was, the Canaanites had six days to change their mind. Every day while the Israelites marched around, they had six days to turn from their evil ways, and they decided not to. Rahab is saved because she chooses to follow after God. The battle shows God's justice on human evil at a very unique time in history. And he is delivering the Israelites because otherwise the Canaanites will annihilate them. So it's salvation and rescue, not just for Rahab and her extended family, but for the Israelites. They are faithful to God in the Torah, and the unfaithful will receive the same judgment as the Canaanites. And then when the battle is over, Joshua puts the whole land, the city, under a curse. This is the first city that the Israelites confronted on the journey, and it's clear that the, the credit for the battle belongs to God. And the land would then become dedicated to the Lord and become a holy nation. That's a great story, isn't it? And we know archaeologically that it's true. But the question is, how does the story of Jericho have anything to do with 2021? We don't have walled cities to conquer. We don't have oppression the way the Israelites did. It's interesting that the Canaanites were receiving judgment for their actions. It was the fullness of time. And that made me wonder, are we ready for the fullness of time for ourselves? We don't have fortified walls that we're depending on to save us. 
But are we looking to other things? Are we looking to our finances, our family and relationships? Are we looking to our business networks, our careers? Are we looking to our charitable work? Are we living in submission to God's authority? Are we reflecting his glory? And then what battle are we facing today? Now, it's hard to come up with examples of how there are battles for us today. However, I read up Sun Tzu's book, The Art of War, only because it's kind of interesting. And lesson three might actually apply to us today. Lesson three is know yourself, know your enemy. He says this, It is said that if you know your enemies and know yourself, you will not be imperiled in a hundred battles. If you do not know your enemies, but do know yourself, you will win, win one and lose one. If you do not know your enemies nor yourself, you will be imperiled in every single battle. Interesting advice. The battles we face today have some of the components that are the same as the Israelites faced. I would say with confidence the Israelites knew the battle was won because of God. They didn't lay siege to Jericho or mount an offensive to get over the walls. God took care of that. But who is our enemy? Well, Satan is the prince of the world, the enemy we have to contend with. We can easily look for security in the things that the world offers us or the world tempts us with. The inhabitants of Canaan looked to their fortified walls, and they looked to the moon god that was said that they worshipped in those walls. They looked to their military and their idols for security. And they created, they allowed the sin of the world to create a merciless and morality-free zone in that city. Satan had a firm grip on that society. And we're dealing with that same enemy. So are we doing the same thing as the Canaanites? What are you looking to for your security? Are we trusting that God's going to win the battle for us? Are we saying, if you say so, in obedience? As our kids were growing up, my husband told them that there's three rules in life. I see Michael grinning. Number one, pay attention. Number two, pay attention. Number three, pay attention. Are you paying attention to what's grabbing your interest? and your time. So the story of the Battle of Jericho does have lessons for us. The first is, the battle is not ours. The battle belongs to the Lord. We know that our security is in Him. And like the Israelites, we get to shout for joy because He's already won the battle. I promise not to shout into the mic, but you know I want to. <laughs> The great lesson for all of us is that spiritual victories are not won by human means. Hebrew 11 says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Faith in what? Faith in the captain of the armies. Faith in the Lord God Almighty. So the battle is not ours. Secondly, we have to separate ourselves from the practices of society. And that is not an easy one. The walk around Jericho was an act of obedience on the part of the Israelites. Remember, that was the craziest battle plan ever. 
blow your horns. They were facing fortified walls, a battle-ready city, and no way to get in. Inside the city, it was a debauchery fest. Their moral compass wasn't skewed, it was missing. And the Israelites knew that they were people of God. They were set aside. They were to obey God's commandments, they were to be separate from evil, and they would trust that God would bless them. So what do you need to separate yourself from? Is there something that's taking your attention away from where it should be? So the battle is not ours. Separate ourselves from society. And the third one, which is a theme that you'll hear throughout this series, God's purpose is that we are a people of promise through which God will bring about wholeness and healing to the land. That was the job of the Israelites, and that is our job, to bring healing and peace and truth to the world. The great victory experienced in Israel is also a warning to us. The Lord is dishonored when his church is engaged in things that are not obedient to him. Our actions have to come from faith and from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And we have the perfect example in Jesus Christ who walks before us. When we are obedient, that seems to activate God's power in us. You'll remember the scene of Simon Peter fishing. He's fishing away. They catch nothing. He comes back onto the shores of Galilee, and Jesus tells him to throw his nets on the other side. What he could have said is, buddy, I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter. I think I know how to fish. Instead, he said, if you say so. And he went back out. And he caught so many fish, he almost capsized two ships. And there was Abraham sacrificing his only son. This is a son that was promised to him. This was the hope of Israel. And he's told to sacrifice his son. And he could have said, you know what, God? That makes no sense. You promised me nations. Nations like the stars in the sky. And this is my only son. I'm not going to do it. And instead, Abraham said, if you say so. This meant that God could entrust Abraham with greater responsibilities because he was willing to be obedient. James 1, verse 22 to 25, James tells us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. He goes on to say that all those who will do what the Bible says will obey, will be blessed in what they do. So what is it that God wants to help you with? What do you have to wait for him to tell you and then say, if you say so? If it's, is it something small or is it something big? What do we need to do to obey Jesus and say, if you say so? The Israelites could shout for joy, but you know what? We can shout even louder. Because the Israelites were saved from the Canaanites, but we have been saved from even more. We have been saved from the power of death and sin because Jesus Christ already fought that battle for us. We have way more to shout for. We can walk in faith and obedience, and we can say, if you say so. So be encouraged in your faith, people of God, because the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me?
God, we thank you that in this world where we know we will have troubles, we know that you are faithful to rescue and to supply what we need, and that all we need to do is be obedient. So, Father, help us to be obedient, because it is a hard thing for us. We are weak people. I pray, Father, that in the example of what you did in Jericho, we would remember that nothing is too great for you, that you supply our needs on a daily basis. You love us and you care for us. Father, give us open ears and open hearts to hear what you are saying to us. We praise your mighty and holy name. Amen.